Hi, everybody. It's Kevin Clark with Valpoint Real Estate and Development in Fairhope, Alabama, with another episode of Decoding Real Estate in Baldwin County, Alabama. My last podcast was about how do you cancel a purchase agreement for residential property? And some issues came up, and I got calls about it, and it was regarding earnest money. You know, the down payment money, not even down payment money, the good faith money you put up when you're purchasing a home to show that you're serious about your offer. And that earnest money can be anywhere from 500 to to $1,000 even more, depending on your jurisdiction. And those earnest monies are generally deposited with the broker company that represents the buyer. But you can put in the contract that your title or escrow company can be the holder of that earnest money. Uh, We do that and a lot of companies do it because they don't want to have the responsibility of having that money in their company trust account. And it's becoming more of a trend down here in Baldwin County. But needless to say, many people don't fully understand about earnest money. Now, earnest money is good faith monies that's made at the time of the offer by the buyer so they can show that in addition to any pre-qualification or pre-approvals for a mortgage loan to purchase the property. It's also cash monies that are placed in trust either with the agent who represents the buyer or in many cases now with the title or the escrow company. And that money is held in neutral for the benefit of both parties, not only the buyer who deposited it, but also with the seller for their benefit in the event of liquidated damages or a claim for damages in the event the buyer fails to uh, perform on the contract in good faith as agreed to by those terms. And again, the terms of the contract, not only about price and timing of closing and other things, it also has to do with contingencies. And we spoke about contingencies in the last episode. But anyway, the reality is, is that many people just assume that when a deal falls apart for whatever reason, that they can just ask for the earnest money back and the listing party or the seller of the property will just agree and you get your money back. It doesn't always work that way and sometimes it can get a little more complicated. But here's the way it should work. The earnest money is held on deposit, as I said, by either the agent representing the buyer or by the title or escrow company if those terms are in the contract. Standard is usually to say that the agent of the buyer holds the money in trust in their trust account for the benefit of both the buyer and the seller. And what they have to do is put that money into trust and have it deposited for the benefit of both parties, usually within a number of business days, usually three business days. And when the closing occurs, Those monies, those earnest money monies, are applied as an additional down payment and credited toward the purchase of the property on behalf of the buyer. And the seller then gets the funds along with the other down payment monies and either remaining cash of its cash deal or the mortgage uh, loan monies or funds that the bank provides at closing. Now, as we discussed before in the last episode, there are a number of things that can prevent a property from closing. You could have a due diligence contract, which means that they have an opportunity to look at all kinds of points of interest to the buyer, such as an inspection, 
uh, termite inspection and contract, uh, title work, getting financing and having them approved ultimately for the loan and to get it funded. Could be internet availability, insurance on the property and making sure it's what they expected price-wise and availability and the type of insurance. Could be a lot of other things too. So the bot could be in a flood zone. They need to confirm that that's the case or not the case. Variety of issues can come up. There are contingencies that have to be met or waived by the seller. And if they aren't, then you could have a circumstance where they are either disapproved or denied. And then what will happen is you'll have the buyer's agent notify the seller, hey, seller's agent, hey, we have an issue. We had a bad inspection and the house got you know, termite damage or it's got appliances or bad, too many repairs and you won't credit any money or make the repairs or the title has a defect in it or an encumbrance or there's an encroachment on the property that's possibly shown up by a survey or it's in an undisclosed flood zone. I can't get internet to the property, termite damage, all these things. My financing fell through. I can't perform. So those are legitimate reasons to terminate the contract. And at that point, you notify the seller of that and you generate what we call a termination and release. And what that termination and release does, it's a basically an amendment to the purchase contract. And what it says is, is that even though we agreed to this contract, the reason I'm not able to perform the contract is X, Y, Z. You know, I couldn't get financing. They couldn't approve me. There's too much damage or the inspection raised issues regarding the roof and you won't repair it. So I'm not going to move forward with it. Can't get uh, reasonable insurance on the property. I can't get internet. All those different things we talked about on contingencies. So then they also then state that I'm going to we're going to mutually, by signature, because everything has to be in writing, since it relates to land, everything has to be in writing, and it will say, we're terminating this purchase contract, we're releasing the parties from their responsibilities, which gives the seller the ability to put it back on the market with the multiple listing service. The buyer then would be entitled to get back his earnest money, and most of the time, that termination release will list there has been $500 or $1,000 put on deposit as earnest money. And we mutually agree as buyers and sellers that we are going to release that money back to the buyer. And that has to be signed and agreed to by both parties. When that happens, the contract is terminated. Everyone is released from any further obligations under the contract. And that can be then used, that document, which is signed by both parties and dated, can be given to either the... Uh, agent for the buyer brokerage company to release the funds and or be able to give it to the title or escrow company and then they will cut a check pack <coughs> to the buyer and everybody walks away from the deal and the seller moves on and remarkets the property and puts it back on the multiple listing service and they continue to try to sell the property and you know find a buyer likewise the buyer moves on to the next home they find that fits their needs similar to how they found that first home that they've canceled the purchase contract on. But there are instances where disputes occur. 
And what happens with those disputes is there are times when a seller may say, well, it was unreasonable for the buyer to cancel this contract. There may be a dispute as whether they exercised their right of cancellation within the appropriate time frames of any viable or available contingency, or there's some other cause that they came up with that maybe wasn't specifically enumerated in the contract, and the seller objects or the buyer objects, or both of them object. They want to enforce specific performance and try to make the other party move forward with the purchase of the contract, which generally doesn't go that route. What people want is they want to move on. They either want to resell the property to someone else or the buyers want to find a different home and they want their money back. And if both parties won't sign a mutual termination and release, or if only one of them will sign it and the other party, whether they be seller or buyer, will not sign it. Now you have a problem because the the stakeholder of that earnest money, the person holding it for the benefit of the buyer and seller, whether it's the brokerage company for the buyer's agent or it's a title company or escrow company, they cannot release that earnest money. Doesn't matter if one signed and the other didn't. They have to have a mutual agreement and execution of a document releasing those funds. And they will not release those monies until a couple things happen. When you have a boondoggle like that or a log jam where nobody wants to release the money and nobody will agree on it, many times people will say, well, give half the money to the seller, the buyer keeps half. There's always a way to negotiate it. But the reality is, is that there's a couple things can happen. And I think that it's got to be clear that people understand just because that earnest money is a fund that there are interests that both the buyer and seller have in those monies, one cannot force the other to do it if they don't want to. And so what will happen is, is that the law permits the actual holder, whether the brokerage company in their trust account or a third-party title or escrow company, they can what in term of parlance is interplead They can take those monies and they can deposit them with the local jurisdiction court that works in that area. Could be a circuit court, superior court, depending on the jurisdiction, but a court of judicial law. They'll deposit it with the clerk's office and then you will be forced. They're relieved now of any obligation to that money. They're able to go ahead and just deposit that money with the court. And then they say to you, we no longer have the funds. We follow the procedure. We've interpleaded it, which is a motion that's filed in different ways in different jurisdictions. And then they basically say, you go ahead and fight it out. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's unreasonable. I mean, going to court's so expensive. Well, sometimes it happens. Now, luckily, most small claims courts which are usually very easy to file, usually one or two sheets of paper, and with inexpensive costs, usually 50 to $100 to get it actually filed. You can file a lawsuit, such as small claims, and you can make a demand and have a hearing to get the court to issue an order, 
in small claims, assuming it's under the jurisdictional limit. Could be 2,500, 5,000, 10,000. Down here, I believe it's 10,000. And most time, earnest money is far less than that. It's usually 500 to 1,000 or 5,000. So you generally are covered. And you go before court, you bring your evidence, and you show as best you can. If you need to have a lawyer, you get a lawyer. But if you feel like you can handle it, I don't recommend it. I say go ahead and get a lawyer. I'll explain why in a minute. And then you argue your case. And if you win, you are then able to either go to the clerk now and say, I've got a judgment signed, an order signed by a judge saying I'm entitled to money. And as the buyer entitled to money, you have to give it to me now because there's a court order saying I'm entitled. <coughs> Likewise, if the money is still held by the buyer's firm's trust account or there's a title or escrow company, all you have to do is show them the certified order from that court, even if it's just a small claims judgment, directing you as the party to receive that money then they can legally release it to you with no recourse from anyone else, such as the buyer or the seller, depending on who is entitled to get the money back. Now, in this case, there is basically rights to get costs and expenses, including reasonable attorney fees incurred in filing that lawsuit, or in the case of a stakeholder of those monies, interpleader. <coughs> Excuse me. So... If you do have to go to court, you can get the cost of filing that action and fighting it with your attorney, and it has to be reasonable attorney fees. You can't say, I'm trying to get back $500, and I've got $100,000 in legal fees. That won't fly. But reasonable legal fees, they will permit you to get, and it will be paid for by the party that was not successful. So, with all those things being said, most of the time, earnest money is able to be returned to the party paying it, usually the buyer. And in that case, when the deal does not go through, the buyer and sellers, they sign their termination and release, and they cut a check back, the stakeholder of the monies, to that party who is supposed to get it, sometimes seller, most of the time it's the buyer, and everybody moves on their way. But in those rare instances where the dispute is so acrimonious or difficult because of the facts that one party won't sign a release or both parties won't sign a release, meaning they want not only, let's say it's a seller wants more money and the buyer wants all the money or the seller and buyer can't come up, come up with an agreement on who's to get what portion of those monies. The reality is it could go to court and you may have to fight for it. So just because a deal gets canceled, if it doesn't get canceled in the right way, you may not get your earnest money back without fighting for it. Nine times out of ten, you'll get your money back and it's not a concern. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why it's so important as a buyer to work with your agent realtor to make sure you know all the deadlines of all your available contingencies and ways to get out of a contract so that you can cancel it get your earnest money back, and be able to move on without any headaches. That's why I always say preparation. Do your due diligence. Trust but verify. Get a great agent. Talk to other people. Verify their credentials. 
and be an active buyer or seller of property to ensure that if as a seller you're wrongfully treated and the property was left off the marker for a long time while this buyer strung you out, you should be entitled to get your earnest money that they deposited for liquidated or damages for that delay of the property being on the market. Likewise with the buyer, if you've done all the right things, you should not be held hostage by a disgruntled seller who doesn't want to release the funds. That's why there are these other options, interpleader and or getting a court judgment, an order signed by a judge, giving you the right to get those monies returned to you. So it's important for you to know your responsibilities, know your rights. If you need to talk to a lawyer, they're not really that expensive. There are a lot of good real estate lawyers around. You know, there are fantastic agents around and you should do whatever you need to, to protect your hard earned money, even if it's in the form of a small, in many cases, larger, but for many buyers, any earnest money is not a small amount, but $500 or $1,000 is not a gigantic amount of money considering buying a $300,000 house. But the fact is, if you have a perfect right to cancel, you should be able to get that money back in full and follow the procedures, make sure that things are done correctly by your agent, realtor, and move forward to the next deal. And look, it happens. Deals fall out all the time for a variety of reasons. It's nobody's fault. It just is. And so whether you're a buyer or seller, don't get too worried about it, but make sure that you protect yourself. So that's what I've got for you today. I hope I made sense about it. For some people, it can be a little confusing. But the bottom line is, Earnest money is a showing of good faith to the other party that you're serious about buying their property. You are putting up that money that's going to be held in trust for not only your benefit as a future addition to the down payment monies, but also for the benefit of the seller that they know that there is somebody who's willing to put up good money to be held and left out of their pocket. They're giving it to another person, either by check, money order, or cashier check, to be held in trust for the benefit of both seller and buyer. And if deal does not go through, depending on the circumstances, you should be able to come to a mutual agreement, sign off on the termination release, and move forward with the appropriate party getting either the earnest money back or the seller getting it or a portion of it going to each party, whichever is equitable and fair as determined by the parties and or if necessary, a court of law. That is how things work to the benefit of everyone involved. So that's all I've got for you today. I really appreciate your time listening to this podcast. If you're ever down here, give me a call, 251-599-6375. Remember to look up our websites, search BaldwinAL.com or ValPointRealEstate.com. We've got a lot of great research tools and information on there, and I hope you guys are doing really well. I'll have another great episode of Decoding Real Estate in Baldwin County, Alabama, and I will talk to you soon.